People do not decide their futures, they decide their habits, and their habits decide their futures. So for example, I made the decision in real estate or the habit to lead generate. Even when I didn't feel like it, even when I, I didn't want to, I set up the habit and then the habit decided my future. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. We've got a really great guest today that I'm excited to share with you. Karen Briscoe is the creator of the Five Minute Success Concept. She is the author of Real Estate Success in Five Minutes a Day, Secrets of a Top Agent Revealed, and Commit to Get Leads, 66 Day Challenge. Karen regularly speaks on a national and local level on the best five minute success strategies. Further, She is the host of the weekly 5-Minute Success Podcast, which has an amazing array of guests who achieve success at a high level, both in business and in life. Karen has completed the John Maxwell Team Certification Program for coaching, speaking, and training. Further, she is a contributing author to real estate media outlets, In Man, and Real Trends. Karen Briscoe is the principal owner of the Huckabee Briscoe Conroy Group with Keller Williams located in McLean, Virginia. The HBC Group has been recognized by the Wall Street Journal as one of the top 250 realtor teams in the United States. Since 1977, the HBC Group has sold more than 1,500 homes valued at more than $1.5 billion. The team consistently sells over 100 residential properties annually, ranging from multi-million dollar luxury estates to condominiums at townhomes. Karen, welcome to the show. Dr. Richard, I am honored and delighted to be your guest. I love it. Well, let's dive right in because you've done so many fantastic things as you know, we've explained as I read out your bio. But talk to us about the Karen Briscoe story. How did you get to where you are today? What were the big things that influenced you along that journey? Well, I was born an entrepreneur. I, my father had multiple businesses. And when I was growing up, was in a way, you know, his protege, even though I was had an older sister and a younger brother, I was the one that always had the business acumen in college, studied business and math. And after college, went to work for a real estate development company in Texas, Tremel Crow, and developed residential lots. Went off with one of the VPs of that firm and started did a startup. And I, I tell people, I'm like, well, you know, their startups aren't new to technology. I mean, any company that starts up from the ground up is, is a startup. And so we were a startup and then hit the Texas savings and loan crisis in the 80s and watched real estate crash. 
which turned out to be pivotal later in my career and life. In the meantime, met my husband, Andy, married, finished my master's degree at SMU, and we had our two children, Drew and Callie. And my mother worked when I was a girl, and she worked with my father in the business, and it was a wonderful place for her to be. What it meant for me as a child, though, is I didn't have a mother at home. And so the one gift I wanted to give my children was to have a mother at home. My husband's career was in public policy, required a great deal of travel. So logistically, it made the most sense for somebody, for a parent to be at home and that be me. And I wanted to do it, but it was not my my skill set or my natural ability. I'm naturally a business person and the mothering was a challenge for me, even though I believe I have two great kids and my son, I think I learned my strongest negotiating strategies uh, from <laughs> from him. Uh, <laughs> in fact, I tell a story. I was in graduate school at SMU in the Cox School of Business. It was a class on negotiation. And we were doing these strategy sessions where we were paired off to negotiate the best outcome for our, our client. And I was pregnant with our daughter. So not only was I home with a three-year-old, but I was pregnant. And and I won the negotiations for our team. And everybody's like, you know, they were working in industry and professions and, and negotiating on a business level uh, on a daily basis. And I was negotiating with a redheaded three-year-old, which if you know anything about three-year-olds, <laughs> uh, he taught me a lot. That is so funny. And there's so much in, in what you've shared just so far. Um, and I love what you said about about the three-year-old. And it's interesting because so many people actually say the opposite, Karen. Uh, you mentioned you had the business acumen and weren't quite sure about the parenting piece, the, the stay-at-home mom piece, whereas many people would say the opposite, that they know how to be a mom or they know how to be a dad, but they're not quite sure about the entrepreneurial piece. But you had that exposure, you had that mentorship early in your father, and you had the example uh, of your mom who wasn't there a lot, and that's something you wanted to do differently for your own kids, which is terrific. Uh, I wanted to jump back to something you said, though. You mentioned that the 80s savings and loans crisis was pivotal for your career. What did you mean by that? I essentially stayed home with my children, even though I did some part-time work, which was you know, mostly administrative related and and paid just minimal wage. It gave me the mommy hours. So I I really put my children's schedule first and not and me second. And I hit what, you know, some people may call the midlife crisis, but I hit the middle years where I was like, you know, I want to have something for me. And volunteer work was was meaningful to a degree. I had done quite a bit of it. And in a way, it was almost a reverse because a lot of times people work for many, 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 for many years. And then at the end of their career or after 30 years in their career, they're like, I want to do something significant. So I want significant. I want to volunteer when I get back. And I'm like, I'd already done that for 15 years. So I felt like I was ready to re-enter the workforce. And many women reach that, mostly women reach that you know, pivotal point at about 
their kids get the middle school years or the high school years. And that's when it happened for me. And I went back to work full time for a commercial real estate firm called Staubach Company and had the Nextel account for all the sales engineering warehouse offices in the United States. And I thought, you know, I'd arrived because this was a really high level position in the coming out of, again, basically just doing administrative type roles before that. But I, I actually found it to be boring. <laughs> I, it was the the routine nature of once you've been in one sales engineering warehouse office, you've been in a mall. And I missed my kids. So I I was like, here I'd been pining for what, 10, 12 years to be in the workforce. Then I get in the workforce and I'm like, I want to be home with my children. And I don't believe that I'm the only one that's had that phenomenon happen to that. I hear I hear that from women um, quite frequently. So I had an opportunity to become a residential estate agent. I had my license and I went to go work with someone on their team as a residential real estate agent. And the people that are in commercial real estate look at residential like it's kind of like the um, the easy job. I I'm not quite so sure that's true because in commercial, you're really dealing with business transactions. But when you're in the residential, there's a lot of personal and emotional. Uh, we, if you if you think about it, people that are buying and selling a home are, well, first of all, that's already on. You know the stress. Yeah, I'm sure you're aware of the 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 stress indicators and buying and selling or moving is already on the stress indicator, but so are so many of the other ones. You have death, divorce, marriage, even positive indicators like um, diapers, having babies, you know, right-sizing, all that are all still stress. And so that is when I combined the personal with the business and really found my my calling because I I got to combine my strengths. So I was became successful pretty quickly in the residential world. And that was in 2002. So the other reason why partly I left Nextel was that was during the, the tech bust, if you remember. And Nextel, um, Starbuck lost the account with Nextel. I went had to go work for Nextel and and there is no money in disposition mode. And that's what was happening at Nextel at the time. So it was really, you know, it's like these fail forward, you know, points in your life where you look back and you go, oh, that's why <laughs> that happened. I probably would never have gone into residential if that had, hadn't happened. Or I may not have gone into residential. And yet I did and found my calling. So I was a, a residential agent on a, a team and the person, the mega agent, Sue Huckabee, who at the time was number 10 in the nation, she was ill and had cancer, which was not known to the public, but those of us on the team did. So in 2006, she asked me to become her partner. And I took over the business when she passed away in 2008. So she died in September of 2008, which is the same month as the financial markets crashed. You may recall, not just real estate busted, but you know there was everything. <laughs> well, everything. That's where the savings and loan crisis came in. My experience and knowledge of that, because I felt it happening. I tried to tell people 
Some people listened, some people didn't, that it was coming. It was like a train that I could feel it on the tracks, but some people couldn't feel it because they had never experienced it before. But I felt it and I made it, started making changes to our business. Some of them I made in enough time. Other ones I had to be responsive. There was um, quite a bit of expense being carried because we were coming out of a really robust market, as you'll recall, in real estate of being the the boom years for sure, 04, 05, 06, 07 was flat, and then 08 was the crash. So I had to make a lot of changes pretty quickly in terms of staffing and expenses. And 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 yet, it was because of having gone through the savings and loan crisis that I believe that that's why I survived, because I moved quickly. I felt it coming. I moved quickly, and I was responsive to the market cha- shifting um, in a in a proactive manner instead of a reactive manner as many people got caught up in. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. And Karen, it's interesting because, you know, what you said can apply to any sector of business, that you leveraged your past experience to be proactive to the changes that you saw coming. And as a result, you were able to thrive, whereas other businesses, no doubt, suffered tremendously or failed outright. You're right about practically or many things in life and in and, and business is that, you know, past performance isn't always the best indicator of future, but it is the, the best thing we have. And so when I started seeing the market indicators that were showing that we were shifting and that we were, you know, reaching you know, peak numbers and and you know, the law of large numbers and I I I I could see what was on the horizon. No one can time these things perfectly, right? Though I mean if anybody, you know, could do that, then obviously they have crystal balls and and they would be independently wealthy. But there are ways or indicators of these trends and being being responsive and then looking to what has worked before and applying them in future situations is one of the most proven ways of success. It wasn't the same because savings and loan crisis was a completely different uh, financial crisis than was the the, um, derivative markets and the selling of the mortgage-backed securities and how they it was more also global than the savings and loan crisis. It was more isolated. So, I mean, there weren't, it wasn't the same, but it was enough of it that uh, by paying attention, I could be uh, successful or at least first survive and then thrive out of it. Perfect. And then let's, let's talk about, let's, let's shift it forward a little bit. Cause I know you, you then went into some, some other things and including your books. I want to push in that direction and, and talk about that part of your journey. 
So from there, I uh, realized that I operated better in a partnership and a friend of mine from church who was actually a past client, Lizzie Conroy. And I had met Sue Huckabee at church as well. And that is a theme in my business and life is relationships with people that I um, know in the community and trust. And and so Lizzie joined me in 2009, which was pivotal because 2009 was still, the market was still very bad. And I was becoming quite discouraged about, you know, this um, business that I had bought and taken on and, you know, was this a good decision? Son in college, you know, a daughter that's going to be going to college. I mean, it wasn't like these decisions were made in a vacuum. And uh, Lizzie has a, a very positive influence. She's optimistic and a hard worker and can-do attitude. And she's been a wonderful partner. And we rebuilt the business together. And it's not at all like the business that I I bought into and then I took over and yet it's it's got that core and then we've been reinventing ourselves um since that time so in so that was been since 2009 and 2015 well actually I have to even go back to 2014 I had met a coach a business coach and she inquired as to you know what's my future hold and I said well many people they tell me that my stories and my illustrations that I share about how to work with in real estate with buyers and sellers, and then also building a business that they really resonate. And I had been writing a blog since 2009, who had been, which had been ranking pretty high. In fact, my story today that went up uh, went to the top of uh, a realtor site called Active Rain. So I knew, felt like I had a voice and I felt like I had, you know, so many people that said that they were interested. And I also, the other phenomena that was happening at the same time, Richard, um, was that I have been, because of my success, been in the top 100 of my company, Keller Williams, which now has 155,000 agents. So being in the top 100 is quite an accomplishment. And by virtue of that, had been invited to a number of masterminds with other top agents and noticed that at the top, it's very male-dominated. And yet, my industry is predominantly women. And so, it's it seems like it didn't make sense to me. And what I found is several reasons why. And I wanted to give back and to do something that would help women achieve success. Now, my book is addressed to, you know, women and men, but I specifically wanted to write a book in a woman's voice, a a business book, but that would be stories that would resonate because most of the real estate books and business books are written by men, um, with the exception of Barbara Corcoran. Uh, She has written a, a great book that's definitely in a female voice, but that I wanted to do that. And so this coach encouraged me and I joined her women's coaching group and an entire year later, so now we're in October 2015, we went on this retreat and it was called Take the Leap to Success. And we were supposed to, we went through exercises on achieving, you know, what we wanted to achieve. And I said, I wanted to write a book. And and on the last day, we were to share with the the group what was holding us back from 
you know, what was the resistance or what was stopping us from doing what we said we wanted to do? And I just had this epiphany. It was like this light bulb went on, Dr. Richard. And it was like, well, the only one stopping me from writing my book is me. And that was that was a big light bulb, I'm telling you, because up until then, I kept saying it was, I didn't have enough money. I didn't have enough time. And and I was like, wow, that's a cop out. I mean, I work for myself and I can, if I feel like writing a book is part of my contribution, then I should be writing a book. Nobody's stopping me. So I went home and I talked with my husband and I talked with my business partner and I talked with my team and they all were behind me. And it was uh, October 2015, which in the real estate world was a very pivotal time because the second half of the Dodd-Frank legislation had just been put into uh, effect and it effectively stopped mortgage lending. Uh, for about a quarter, um, three months. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to use this as a sabbatical because we really went from selling a house, two houses a week to about a house a month. So that's pretty significant drop in business. And so I used that time to jumpstart my book. And then in January 2016, my husband, who at the time was 64, retired early and not because he wanted to. So he was asked to retire early. It was a lot of things going on in his industry and it just for them was a good time. It wasn't a great time for us. So here I have this um, convergence of, do I continue to write a book when now I'm the sole breadwinner? And I felt so called, I mean, so compelled that this was what I was supposed to do. So I powered through and the book came out August 1st, twenty. 16. So it has done more than I ever could have imagined. And I look back and I, I think, wow, why, why, what was I waiting for? That's the only thing I could say is, and, and if um, one of the lessons I've learned is to move faster into it, because I put off so long doing what I felt like I was supposed to be doing and led to be doing. And I look back and, and so Think about it. I mean, that's why I met you, uh, Dr. Richard, is is because of the book I met Hal Elrod, and who is the author of the Miracle Morning series. And because of that, I went to the best year ever blueprint, and that just I could like. There's so many tentacles that go out of that. I could just spend hours talking about. No, no doubt about that, Karen. But there's there's something that has been a thematic piece of what you've been sharing with us and that this is basically the third time in your story that you have leveraged adversity to work to your advantage. And even though you you stated that, you know, you why didn't you do it sooner? The reality is you had experiences from the 80s savings and loans crisis. You sought opportunity after the 2008 global crisis. And then, you know, when this lending law went into effect, which essentially crippled your business for a quarter, you leveraged that time to really write the meat of your book. And I think that is outstanding because essentially, 
you're not being the victim. You're not saying, well, there's nothing I can do. You basically were saying you've got some lemons and you just turned them into lemonade. Absolutely. And the um, the book itself had a, a couple of epiphanies that went along with it as well. I n- felt led to write a book and I felt led to write it in a um, women's stories and not that it would be exclusive for women that it would but it would appeal to women and but then it was like well I don't want to write just another real estate book or business book because there's plenty of those (laughs) Um, but what I found was when I would was coaching and training and talking with people what resonated was the short stories and many of them would say they didn't have enough time that was what I heard over and over again I want to work on my personal business development but I don't have enough time and so the idea of the book coming together of being a, a daily reader, combining a business genre into a format where you literally read one page a day. So the, that's where the five-minute success came in. And that was a an epiphany that happened on, on an airplane to, I, I call it like, the creation of the Reese's peanut butter cup, peanut butter and chocolate comes together. It makes it better. The, um, the information and the inspiration coming together is transformative. And that making that decision to do that daily reader is what led me to meet Hal Elrod. And that then, as I said earlier, just has this domino effect. And the, this five minute success principle has now become even encompassed so much more. And I really do think it has to do with a couple of key quotes that have really resonate to me. And one is that people do not decide their futures, they decide their habits and their habits decide their futures. So for example, I made the decision in real estate or the habit to lead generate even when I didn't feel like it, even when I, I didn't want to, I set up the habit and then the habit decided my future. And when I made the decision to write the book, I set up the habit to write every day. And then that decided my future. And the miracle morning is the habit of starting your day with you know, certain, you know, the things that you do every day, certain habits that then will set, you know, the motion, the day so that, you know, as your day starts and is how the rest of the day will go. And so that has now become clear to me when you look at, when you're looking at, you know, the the pearls or the themes as well, that those success habits are what pulled me through I, instead of relying on emotion or feeling like it, I relied on the fact that, okay, I have these these good work ethic habits and or good personal development habits that will lead to success. There is no question that when you have a routine and then you get into this habitual act of doing things, and there's neuroscience behind that, right? Like when we when we create a habit, we're building essentially this neuronal connection in our brain and those get stronger the more that we create a habit, the more we do something on a regular basis, the more deeply entrenched that habit becomes a part of us. So when you are doing the right things and you are habituating success routines, then that is 
exactly what you described, and that's what pushed you forward. But I wanted to spend a couple more minutes, Karen, talking about, you mentioned that, you know, you wanted this book to be, you know, something not exclusively for women, but in a woman's voice, and and that, you know, this this one-minute reader or one-page-a-day sort of thing. But talk to us a little bit about some of the other principles that are guiding your book and, and what things people will get out of it. So the book has a structure, even though every day is designed to be read one page a day or in five minutes, it has a structure because uh, what I found is that it ha- there are basic fundamentals to be successful, not just in business, but really any entrepreneurial endeavor. And so the first one is, is the commit to get leads. And I, I call it commit because it require it requires that you're going to do it whether you feel like it or not. So it's a commitment. So the commit to get leads. And I tell people, even if you're not in real estate, if you're in any kind of profession, you're in the lead generation business. A dentist calls it business development, but they need a patient before they can actually practice anything. And churches call it evangelism. They need they need people coming into the, the building or the part of the congregation in order to actually have uh, a, a church. And so everybody's in the lead generation business, whether they think about it or not. And then once you have that lead, then there's a conversion process or a consulting process where you take that lead and you take them through the process. So a dentist you know, obviously cleans teeth or does x-rays. The real estate agent helps the buyer buy a house or helps the seller sell a house. And then what happens many times with entrepreneurs or professionals is they get stuck in what I call this transactional loop. And they're only as good as their next deal because they, they need that lead or that client or that customer. And the way to get out of that loop is to do what I call connect to build and grow. And connect to build and grow takes it, The those are a lot of times personal business development, it's leveraging opportunities, it's systems, it's ways to make that an ongoing sustainable enterprise. What it's all surrounded with is mindset principles of success thinking, activities and vision. And I really believe it requires all of them. It requires you need to think about success and then you need to have a vision of what success looks like for you, but you also have to take action. I mean, I had to write the book, right? I mean, at some point, thinking about it and having a vision about being an author was not going to be the same thing as actually sitting down and writing the book. And that all comes together and, and creates a sweet spot of success. So... What I've found, the more people that I talk to, that this really is a universal, um, applies, again, to entrepreneurs, other professions, and industries. And the more I would talk to people about the five-minute success principles, uh, that resonated. And that's what led me to launch the five-minute success podcast, because I found that, as I'm sure you have as well with the podcast, the beauty is that the guests then come on and share how they have achieved success and how they have applied those principles in their business or their life. And that is then provides more. It's really an amazing experience, which I I think you've enjoyed as well. And that is, is that as you contribute, then it, it comes back 
you know, multifold. Uh, so, and I've, it's really resonating with people that they, um, as they apply the five minute success principles, they're achieving higher levels in their business and their life. Fantastic. And for those of you driving behind the wheel of the car, don't worry, we will have the link to where you can get your hands on Karen's book and links to her podcast and all of those good things that are Karen Briscoe in the Daily Helping app and at thedailyhelping.com. Well, Karen, we are just about at time here. And as you know, I love to wrap up with a single question that I ask all my guests, and that is, what is your biggest helping? The single most important piece of information you'd like for somebody to walk away with after listening to your episode today? Well, we chatted about this, and I think that it's, for me, it's my mission to help women achieve a higher level of success. Because when I was uh, an at-home mother, which again was very meaningful for me, I felt that I was still missing something. And as I've achieved success, then I have much greater self-confidence, but also have the means to do things that our family wasn't um, in a position to do before. And I see what has happened in my life and other women's lives when they achieve a higher level of success, then everybody else's lives around them improve. And I believe that there's great opportunity for uh, women in the workforce and to, to return to the workforce if they've been home and and want to do so. And I want to be that encourager. I tell people, I I did not go back to work full time until my son was 18 in 2006 when he left for college. And here I am, I mean, 11 years later. And I I say, you can start today. You can start today. Uh, There's there's so much fear that, you know, they've they've been left behind or that they're um, they don't have anything to offer. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you have so much to offer. You could start today and just contribute today. And, And then you, too, can achieve a higher level of success. Beautifully said. Karen, where can people find you? The 5-Minute Success website, the 5-Minute Success Facebook page, and the 5-Minute Success podcast. I would say that you could probably Google that and Karen Briscoe and um, on Amazon for the book as well. And that's 5-Minute Success with the number 5. Correct. Outstanding. Karen, thank you so much for being on the show today. I had a blast. Yes, me as well. And thanks to each and every one of you who tuned in to listen to this episode. If you liked what you heard, go subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave us a five-star review because that's what helps other people find this podcast. But most importantly, go out there and do something nice for somebody else today. Even if you don't know who they are and post it in your feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others.